Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that you would not only feel inspired, but that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I'm excited to share the word tonight. Are you ready to hear it? We have, uh, we've been in a series called The Rest of Your Life. The rest of your life. Uh, we kicked it off Mother's Day. How many of you have watched the last two messages in the series? Have you, have you watched it? If you haven't, can I urge you to go on our YouTube page? Actually, we are now officially on Spotify and on iTunes and all that. So you can catch up on all the messages there. But we've been in this series because we really believe that it is integral and foundational uh, for us as a church. We're a brand new church. And we're not going to operate out of striving. We're going to operate out of resting. There is a power in the Sabbath. Sabbath means to cease, to pause. And I've been saying it throughout the series, and I'll continue to say it, that if you don't learn how to break, you will break. Uh, it's, it's funny because to Sabbath, to rest, really isn't optional. You can either choose to do it, rest voluntarily, or life will make you rest involuntarily. And you will have a breakdown. But you must learn the rhythm of God which always includes rest. You can't keep ignoring that light on your car and not think your car gonna break down. Sooner or later, it is going to break down. You gonna have to change the oil eventually. So, so you may as well implement a rhythm of maintenance rather than have your car break down. I'm already preaching. So we're learning how to be strategic with the Sabbath, strategic in the rest. And so uh, we're going to jump back into that today, and I'm going to ask you to stand up one last time. Are you tired? I know you feel like you've been in a workout class. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to stand up uh, just to honor the reading of God's Word tonight. And uh, I want to look at two passages of Scripture. I want to look at John chapter 4. We'll look at verses 4 through 10, and also Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. When you're ready to read it, say, Yeah. If you ain't ready, say, hold up. How are you going to say, hold up that loud? Come on. <laughs> John chapter 4, and this is talking about Jesus. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, uh, hold up, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, crazy girl. At least that's what I hear in my head. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Somebody just say living water. Come on, say it like you had some espresso today. Say living water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next verse. On one occasion, Acts chapter 1, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Oh, there it is again. My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, that's really none of your business. You should just drink your water and mind your business. Because <laughs> it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can somebody say amen right there? That is good stuff. I want to preach. I want to preach tonight in this third installment of this series from this title, Drink the Rest. Drink the Rest. I don't mean to put my marital business out in the street, but my wife, Taylor, who I love, peppered throughout our house, you'll see like all these water bottles <laughs> that she has had sips of, but there'll be like some left. And I'm always asking, are you going to drink the rest? She's like, no, babe, I'm fine. That's it. That's all I wanted. <laughs> Today, I'm going to talk about drinking the rest. I want you to look at your neighbor one last time, get in their face, get in their personal space, and say, oh, neighbor, you ought to drink the rest. Look at your other neighbor, the one you ignored. Say, other neighbor. Ooh, I'm looking at your face. You got to drink the rest. <laughs> Jesus, speak to us tonight. Amen. Drink the rest. Quick sermonic survey tonight. How many would say, by a showing of hands, that you like to work out? You enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? My Lord, that's a lot of hands. Hello. Healthy church. <laughs> you can put it down. How many of you say, how many of you say by a showing of hands that you do not like to work out, you don't enjoy exercise? Let me see your hand. Come on, don't lie in church. Okay. <laughs> awesome. You can put it down. Those of you, hear me, who lifted up your hands the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise, you are officially dismissed from this service, okay? <laughs> No, for real, you can leave. As a matter of fact, run home, okay? <laughs> because I have now found some camaraderie and some commonality with the second group of people. Y'all are my people, okay? <laughs> oh, I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? I do not like to work out at all. Uh, there's absolutely nothing in me that finds enjoyment or pleasure in going to work out. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. Oh, I'm serious. I'm serious. People, understand there were no gems in Genesis. There were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden, okay? You cannot have Pilates and have paradise. God, in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power, created us originally as perfectly perfect humans. Ooh, perfectly perfect. Come on, that means Adam had biceps, he had triceps. Uh, he didn't have a one-pack, he had a six-pack. Ladies, Eve didn't have any cellulite and was 0% body fat. Some of y'all looking at me like, uh-uh, what's the scripture for that? I give you the scripture, I give you the scripture. Come on, the Bible says that they were both naked and unashamed. 
Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked, unashamed if you got it going on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was not until they took of that forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered into the world. So I, I don't like to work out. However, I do work out. I do work out. Almost every day I work out, and I do it at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And the reason I do it is because I don't like to do it. I don't like to do it, so I do it. Oh, I do it. But the reason I do it is because I don't like it. Some of y'all are like, don't you be posting about health is wealth? And like, yeah, that's the gram. That's why Instagram's not real. <laughs> but the reality is, I do it, but I don't like it. And the reason that I do what I don't like is because I don't want to rob myself of the gift of doing something that I don't like to do. I work out almost every day and early in the morning to give myself the gift of the power of doing something you don't like to do. I do it because I'm giving myself the gift of letting my feelings know you don't have the final say. I give myself the powerful gift of letting my body know that you must come under subjection to my spirit because I'm not just body, I am spirit too. And I want to tap into the power of this word called discipline. Discipline. It's, it's where we get our word disciple. Discipline, what one writer says, is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. Discipline, the thing that makes you do consistently what other people do occasionally. Discipline, discipline. If you are ever going to step into who God has called you to be, you must understand the power of discipline. The power of doing stuff that you don't want to do. I'll never forget uh, at the end of 2018, stepping into 2019, uh, God spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Robert, I want you to do a 21-day fast. I was like, God, what are you talking about? Every January I do a 21-day fast. I do the Daniel fast. I said, I already got my juice. I already got my kale. It's going to be good. He said, no, not this year. He said, this year I want 21 days water only. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. What you talking about? Water only. He said, yeah, th this year I want water only for 21 days. I said, God, why in the world would I do that? He said to me so clearly, because your current level of discipline will not sustain the leader that I'm calling you to be. That was before we ever started Social Dallas. He started putting in me the power of discipline. So I went 21 days water only fast, and I'm today shouldn't call it a fast, they should call it slow. Come on, because the days move slow, especially when you're doing water only. And then after that, I lost so much weight from the fast that I started implementing the practice of working out consistently. I found this special place. I just celebrated my three-year anniversary of going to this special place. It's called Orange Theory Fitness. I'll take those three claps. I am, I am Orange Theory Fitness's uh, biggest global brand ambassador who ain't paid, okay? The biggest non-paid global brand ambassador. I love Orange Theory Fitness. It is an hour of high-intensity interval training. You go from the rower to the treadmill to the weight room floor. But I'm not really there for all that equipment. I'm there for the screen. 
There's a TV screen at Orange Theory Fitness, and on that TV screen, there is a little square with your name on it, and you wear a heart rate monitor, and I'm there because while I'm working out, I can see what's happening within. Ooh, I can see where my heart rate is. They have a five-level heart rate zone, and they make it all colorful. It's like gray, blue, green, orange, and red. Gray is when your heartbeat is from zero to 50%. I think blue is when you're from 50 to 60. Green is from 60 to 70. And orange is when you're from 70 to 80% of your heart rate. And red is 90 to 100. In other words, when you're in red, you're about to be dead. But orange... Orange is what they want you to stay in, thus Orange Theory. And the goal of the class, the one instructor who is training everybody, is to get you to be in that orange zone for at least 12 minutes. Because the orange zone is the zone of being uncomfortable. They want you to have 12 minutes of being uncomfortable in that zone. Ooh, I think I know why I like Orange Theory Fitness. Because Jesus was the original Orange Theory Fitness instructor. Oh, you do know he was a heart rate monitor because Jesus did not just look at people. He was able to look in people. He was able to see the depths of human heart. Everybody else looked at the outside, but God was able to perceive what was going on on the inside. And I love it because he took his 12 disciples and he was constantly pushing them into the uncomfortable zone. It wasn't 12 minutes, but it was 12 disciples. He was consistently trying to get them into the orange zone into the zone of uncomfort. He was constantly pushing them out of their comfort zone because how many know if you are going to be a disciple, God will push you into uncomfort. I'm telling you, he was consistently putting them in scenarios and situations where they were uncomfortable because it is in the uncomfortable zone that your faith is stretched. He knew that he only had three years to train them, three years before that shift, before the transition, where he was going to stop doing things for them and was going to shift to doing things in them and through them. And he said, if I'm going to make that transition to not just doing things for you, but doing things through you, I got to push you into the uncomfortable zone. Ooh, I know you don't like that because you like your comfort. And some of y'all are like, oh, thank God for the day of Pentecost. Because I love the comforter. But can I tell you the reason you have the comforter is because God is pushing you into the uncomfortable. Why else would you need the comforter? You think God is giving you the comforter for you to cuddle? No, he is pushing you to be a witness for him. And the reason you need the comforter is because God has a way of pushing you into the uncomfortable. In fact, the ministry of Jesus to me was this ministry of always comforting the disturbed, but he would also disturb the comfortable. He would push them in situations that made them sweat. Tell them, talking about, get on this boat. How's the weather gonna be, Jesus? Oh, it'll be all right, you'll see, come on. <laughs> Trying to get them in scenarios of uncomfort in the orange zone. And of all the scenarios throughout your gospels where Jesus put his disciples in the uncomfortable zone, whoo, the one we read today, has to be at the top of the list. Because one day he's chilling with his disciples and he could have just led them that way, but he had to make this statement to make it extra. He said, uh, gentlemen, I need to go to Samaria. I need to go to Samaria. 
I wish the Bible had facial expression pop-ups. I wish I could have seen the faces of these Jewish disciples as this Jewish Jesus said, I need to go to a town that y'all have been avoiding your entire life. Oh, I wish I could see the tension in the air as Jesus says, I got to take you into a place with the people who you despise. All the Jews could not stand the Samaritans. You're talking about 500 years of conflict, 500 years, not just of animosity, of extreme hate. You see what's happening right now in Israel. This is the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They could not stand them, and yet God says, yeah, that's where we need to go. Can you imagine the uncomfort that he put them through? They said, why are we going here, Jesus? This is the area that we're always avoiding. And Jesus is subliminally saying to us, I know, but you have to understand that sometimes the avoided place is actually the appointed place. The areas and the places in your life that you are trying to avoid, how many of you know often those are the exact places that God is trying to take you through? Oh, come on, somebody help me preach it here. Turn me down a little bit in this monitors. I'm telling you, the places that you are trying to avoid are often the place God is trying to get you to. The issues in your life you are trying to avoid. Those are often the places God says, yeah, I have an appointment there. Yeah, yeah, that, that need for validation from a male voice and from a father that you never got, that you don't deal with, and now you're looking for it in other people, that avoided place, yeah, I want to deal with that place right there. Because often the avoided place is the appointed place, the thing you don't want to deal with, the place you don't want to go. God says, I have to take you there. This is actually the power of a Sabbath. Because whenever you Sabbath, whenever you pause, it allows you to not just live your life, but look at your life and say, are there areas in my life that I am avoiding that God says there's an appointment that is there? Are there issues that I have not addressed and I'm so busy going through life and going through my routine that I never stop to analyze the avoided places in my life? He makes them go to Samaria. I can see them rolling their eyes when they get there. And then he makes it worse. He says, oh, y'all go give me some food real quick. Really? Makes them go into the town and order some food. And as they go away, the Bible says something that I've always struggled with. It says, Jesus, tired, comma, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by a well. That scripture bothered me because I'm trying to figure out how in the world is Jesus tired? How in the world is a God who never sleeps and never slumbers, how is he getting tired to sit down on a well? That, that scripture confused me. I, I get Jesus wept. It used to be my favorite scripture because it's the shortest. Amen. I get Jesus wept. I understand that because he's teaching us in his humanity when he wept that I cannot raise somebody from the dead until I first weep with them. How dare you try to bring resurrection to somebody until you have first felt what they felt and know what they're going through. Don't try to resurrect somebody when you haven't even felt the pain of the person that was gone. So I understand Jesus wept. I even understand Jesus slept. Remember the 
time he was asleep, the only time you see Jesus sleeping in the Gospels, guess what? It was in the middle of a storm. Look at your God. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus was asleep was in the middle of a hurricane, a tsunami, and he is sleep extra. He has a pillow is what Mark says. That's the only time you see your Savior sleeping. And wouldn't that be just like God, that in the middle of a chaotic storm, he said, yeah, this is time for me to get some sleep. That's the only time he said, I get Jesus slept because out of that sleep, he got up and said, peace be still. And the only reason and only way he was able to say, peace be still extra Externally is because he had peace internally because you can't fake peace you cannot fake rest when you are really rested it'll show I mean no you can't fake peace you can't fa- when you have not taken the time to pause everybody around you will know the whole workplace knows when you ain't got enough sleep they say oh here come here here come Karen again oh lord yes she she must not have slept today I see that look in her eyes you can't fake peace you cannot fake rest this is the power of a Sabbath because it's not something you can fake you cannot be a peace carrier externally until you have peace on the inside so I understand Jesus slept but I don't understand Jesus getting tired Jesus how are you tired from this journey I know we got theologians in the room today. They're saying, well, Robert, you don't understand the power of the hypostatic union. He was actually fully God and fully man, and it was his humanity that made him tired. I know. (laughs) The problem is the disciples were with him. They had just taken the same journey. So I'm trying to figure out if the disciples are with you, how come they're not tired? You send them ahead to go get some food. They took the same journey you took. If it was that arduous of a journey, it should have been all of y'all talking about, whoo, we need to take a seat. That was rough. We're tired. Why do the disciples have energy to still go into the town to buy food? Huh? That's the stuff I think about. You, you mean to tell me the disciples had more energy and they were in better shape than the savior of the universe? How are you tired? And they got energy to keep walking in the town to buy food. You walk the same journey. Oh, but how you know, just because somebody walks the same journey as you, doesn't mean they're carrying the same weight as you. Uh, We can be walking the same journey but not carrying the same weight. That's why you can't judge anybody based off of what you see and say, how come I'm going through the same thing? No, we might be in the same place and we might be going through the same thing, but you don't understand the weight that I'm carrying. Just because we walk the same journey doesn't mean that we are carrying the same weight. And Jesus was carrying a different weight than the disciples. I don't think he was just tired physically. He was tired emotionally. He was tired mentally. He was tired of them. (laughs) Tired of them. Trying to get these dudes to realize I am the savior of the world and you turning up your nose in Samaria and you're the one I'm about to tag and leave the earth and get you to be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth and you turning up your nose in the place that's actually the harvest that you're called to reap. I am tired of y'all tired of you not realizing that I came for everybody not just people that look like you think like you talk like you vote like you I came for the world Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth see this is what people don't understand about Pentecost the power of Pentecost is so you can be a witness to the world see we reduce Pentecost to we reduce Pentecost to tongues and 
shaking and bucking and all that's fine. I love it. I'm Pentecostal too. But the true power of Pentecost is when the church can get unified and come together and not just have an experience in here, but take the power from in here out there and be a witness to somebody else. And it might be a person that you don't like. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, in other words, start at home. Judea, then go to your neighborhood. Samaria, go to the people you don't like. And then the ends of the earth. But you won't ever get to the ends of the earth until you first start at home, then your neighborhood. And then the people who think different than you and are different than you. And then the ends of the earth. But this is the order of the power of being a witness. And so he sits on a well because he's tired. It's just you and us talking tonight. Have you ever been tired? Not just physically. I'm talking about emotionally. I'm talking about mentally. I'm talking about you slept eight hours, but you got up and you're still tired. Because you got sleep, but you didn't get rest. Have you ever been emotionally tired? Some of you are still catching up from the weariness that you experienced from 2020, and you don't understand why your soul is tired. Tired can happen on the inside of your soul. You know one of my favorite speeches from Dr. King? Guess what my favorite speech is? It ain't I have a dream. It ain't I have a dream. My favorite speech from Dr. King is one that happened in 1968, just before he was assassinated. He gave a speech with with all candor. He said, I'm tired of marching. He said, I'm tired of marching for something that I should have had at birth. He said, I'm tired of the constant threat of death. He said, I am tired of marching. Because that was in a season of his life where he was not just experiencing opposition against the civil rights movement, but there was opposition within the civil rights movement. The people within thought that what he was doing was not working. And he openly said, I'm tired of marching. Do you understand when Dr. King died at 39, they did an autopsy. And the autopsy report said that Dr. King, who died at 39, had the heart of a 60-year-old. The heart of a 60-year-old because he was tired. The pressure of life. If Jesus in his humanity was so tired that he had to sit down and take a break, how in the world do you think your crazy self can keep going without ever pausing. Jesus goes, look, these Birkenstocks are killing my feet. And it's not just the Birkenstocks. I am emotionally, I am mentally drained. I never forget it, Orange Theory, pay me. One time I saw this sign, it was a poster. And I got inspired by it at first, then I started thinking about it. It said on the sign, if you get tired, learn to rest, not quit. I was like, oh, that's good. I almost tweeted it, didn't give him credit. 
If you get tired, learn to rest, not quit. And I was shouting about it until I started thinking about it. I said, hold up, I got to edit that. Because it ain't no if you get tired. It is when you get tired. I promise you, being tired is inevitable. And if you don't learn how to rest, you'll lose your soul. So he sits down and he rests. And he waits. He waits for a woman who has some issues. Can I just talk about a savior who will wait on you? I know we sing songs and it's my jam. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. He will renew us. I love it. I love waiting on the Lord, but I'm thankful that the Lord will wait on me. I love that this woman who was coming to the well didn't even know that Jesus had arranged his whole itinerary to go through a city that his homeboys didn't want to go through because he had a special appointment with her. I'm thankful, not that I have the power to wait on God, but that God has the patience to wait on me. I'm thankful for a God who will wait on me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you weren't always seeking him. How many of you know the reason you were able to even find him is because he first sought you. In fact, some of y'all need to change your testimony. Time out. I found Jesus. What you mean you found Jesus? Jesus was never lost. He found you. If not for grace, you wouldn't even know to know that you needed him. But I want to thank God for a savior who will orchestrate his whole itinerary to wait on you, to seek you, to think about you when you weren't even thinking about him. Oh, somebody ought to give him some praise tonight if you're thankful for a God who will wait on you. I'm thankful for his patience. He will wait. He waited for you to get tired of turning up at the club every night and realizing this is not that life. He waited for you to realize that that dude was not going to put a ring on your finger and he was going to continue to break your heart. He waited on you, sir, to lose your pride and let your business fail. And now look at you. You in church now, ain't you? Lifting up your hands, saying, oh, I need you now. You weren't doing it when you was making the money. But God knows how to make you respond to his weight he'll wait for you he'll wait for you when you're not thinking about him he'll wait for you when you're not even on his schedule he'll put you on his and not even ask you he was just waiting on her saying she don't even know what's about to hit her she don't even know that yes I'm tired but I'm not too tired for her I set up this whole appointment for her I made my disciples go into the town that they didn't want to be in because I didn't even want her to have to deal with their condescending looks and ask, why is he talking to her? I made them run an errand for me. You know I didn't need them to get food. I could have wiggled my nose and had food show up. I said, y'all go get something because I have an appointment with one woman. She didn't even know it. Destiny appointments don't always give you blues clues. You don't always know what a destiny moment is. That's why you ought to show up. You don't know. That's why you ought to wake up with expectation. You don't know what a destiny moment is. Destiny moments are hidden. 
destiny moments look like regular lunches at Olive Garden. They don't always look spiritual. They're not always in church. They happen at Wells. She was about to have a destiny moment, and she didn't even know it. Not only did she not know it, she set up her time schedule to not be bothered. She came in the middle of the day. Women didn't come to the well in the middle of the day. In fact, the women came to the well in the morning. It was the social gathering place. That's what the women did. That's where they came and they talked and said, girl, where you get your hair done? Oh, you know, this shop down the street in Israel. That's where they talked. It was at the well. In fact, there was even a saying in that time period that if you were a single man and you were trying to get married, go to the well. Some of y'all, this is your well tonight. They're like, I'm going to social. <laughs> I see y'all when y'all walk in, y'all like, yeah, hallelujah, but I'm here at the well. <laughs> I see you. I know. I'm just glad you're here. It's all right. I'm glad you're here, player. The well was a gathering place for the women. She came in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be bothered. She came in the middle of the day because she was tired. Yeah. Tired of being talked about. Tired of being looked down upon. Tired of church folks. Tired of people gossiping about her. Tired of walking into spaces and everybody getting quiet and snickering when she walked in. She was tired. I think the woman at the well is tired of preachers talking about her today. Oh, yes. Because you know how those preachers do all oh, this promiscuous woman, this desperate housewife, five husbands, and living with somebody who wasn't her husband, shacking. That's what she was doing. Who started that word, shacking? Preachers today castigate this woman, not even understanding the cultural context that in that time period, that misogynistic time period where women were not even honored or valued, you didn't even have the right to divorce your husband. That means she was divorced. That means she was left. So how are you labeling her promiscuous when she didn't even have an option for the five men that left her? It wasn't even her choice. So was she promiscuous or was she really dealing with the pain of rejection? Be careful how you label people when you don't really know the story behind the label that you put on them. Is she promiscuous or is she dealing with the pain of rejection and she's tired? She comes to the well. In the heat of the day, Texas July heat, she's sweating. Say, at least I ain't got a deal with the looks of them crazy women talking about me. And she got her AirPods in. She don't want to be bothered. <laughs> and she comes to the well, and there's Jesus. Looking at her, not regular, with that smile. <laughs> you ever seen that smile? It's the smile that says, I'm a talker. <laughs> I can spot this smile a mile away. I'm married to one of these people. I, <laughs> those people, I used to see it all the time. I travel, I'd be on the plane, they just got that. 
you walk in, they just can't wait. Oh, are they going to sit next to me? Are they going to sit? They cannot wait. They get life from conversations. And see, as soon as I see that smile, I'm like, ooh, headphones today. Nope, nope. And you'll sit down and they'll still be. And you're like, oh my God. How you like those AirPods? Are they nice? Yeah, man, I love them. Uh-huh. Are those Apple? Man, you see this case. You know they Apple. They can't help it. <laughs> they get life from talking. That's how he's looking at her. She's like, oh, here we go. Because she has orchestrated her life. She has orchestrated her life, hear me, to feel the false rest that comes from isolation. There is a fake rest that comes from isolation. It is a synthetic rest. And the reason it is synthetic is because although you avoid the conflict of relationships, you cannot battle how you were wired and created. You were created for community. Rest happens in community. And although there was a peace she had of like, I don't have to fool with no drama. Women be having drama. But still in the depths of her soul, she wanted a relationship. She wanted it so bad. And she comes to the well, tired. And there's Jesus. She's like, will you give me a drink? Huh? Will you give me a drink? I love that the Savior of the world had the humility to begin the conversation with this woman by not talking about her need, but about his. Will you give me a drink? He didn't really need her to give him a drink, but he's given her the courtesy of a conversation and the courtesy of kindness to say, hey, Can I get a drink? I don't really need you, but I'm going to ask. I'm not going to address your need because you don't see your need yet. See, if if, if you had the insight Jesus had, you would have gone straight to, uh, mm -hmm, I can see what's wrong with you. You got five husbands. You're living with somebody right now. That came later, but that wasn't the first thing he came out the gate with. He started with just kindness of a conversation. Do you realize how many rules Jesus was breaking by talking to this woman? First of all, he's talking to a woman in public. They didn't do that in that day. Not only that, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Not only that, he's a rabbi, and rabbis sure didn't do that. But this is the power of the gospel, that it destroys social constructs. The gospel, the power of Pentecost. Come on, it will make you talk to people who vote different than you, who look different than you. This is the power of what the gospel does. It destroys social constructs. And he gives her the courtesy of kindness. Don't tell me you're full of the spirit when you can speak in tongues, but you can't speak kindly to other people. Don't tell me you're full of the Spirit when you can shout and dance and run around the church, but you act like you're too special to acknowledge somebody in the room. Don't tell me you're full of the Spirit. The prerequisite of Pentecost was that they were all in one accord in one place. God will not pour out His Spirit on divisiveness. 
he pours out his spirit on unity. So much so that even before they went into the upper room, thank you, Holy Spirit, they replaced Judas. You ever notice that? Before they had to gather in the upper room, they said, oh, it's only 11 of us. We got to get a replacement. What? Something has happened to these dudes. These are the ones who are always fighting over position. You would think, oh, Judas is gone. Hey, there's one more out the way for me to get to the top. No, it's starting to sink in that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. We are powerful as a unit of 12, not as 11. We got to get a replacement. It's in unity. Will you give me a drink? And she looks at him and says, don't play. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And he says to her, woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, you are missing the moment. The reason you cannot receive the living water that your soul needs is because you don't perceive who I am. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Jesus is using the natural water as an illustration to get this woman to realize your soul is dry and you've been running from man to man in relationship to relationship thinking that maybe they could quench a thirst that they were never meant to quench. And I'm stopping, hold up, as the seventh man in your life to let you know you'll only find rest if you drink from me. Look at the power of the Sabbath, even with the woman at the well. She had had five husbands. She was living with somebody who wasn't her husband. That's six. Jesus is number seven. He is sitting on that well saying, I am the Sabbath. I am the rest that your soul needs. I'm the seventh man. Genesis. Oh, y'all watch the message. I am your ah. But you won't know that I'm your ah until you first perceive with your eyes Aha, this is not just an ordinary man. This is the fountain of living water. My message is simple tonight. My message is to tell somebody, stop running to earthly things to quench a spiritual thirst. If you want to truly find rest, you must drink from him. And if you're not careful, you can even be a believer and still have places that you go to trying to quench a spiritual thirst with something in the natural. You can do it with position. You can do it with likes on the ground. You can do it in relationships. Trying to quench the spiritual thirst with something in the earth, and it never works. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself desires 
that nothing in this present world can satisfy, there is only one probable explanation. I was made for another world. In other words, the reason I have the thirst in the first place is because there must be something that will quench it. Because thirst is inevitable. It's inevitable. Quenching is optional. But thirst is inevitable. Do me a favor as the worship team comes. Look at the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. Look at the person behind you. Look at the person in front of you. Every person you just looked at is thirsty. Every person, black, white, Latino, tall, short, front lace, ball-headed, fade, whatever. Every person you looked at, thirsty. Every person is thirsty. Let's just be honest. If you are on planet Earth, you're thirsty. The question has always been, where are you going to quench your thirst? I'll never forget this. Y'all bring this over here. Can you help me? Can you bring that right here and hold the bottom of it? Y'all good? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Everybody's thirsty. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Thirst is inevitable. Quench is optional. Where are you going to go to quench your thirst? Can you imagine being completely dehydrated and somebody bringing you an ice cold Coca-Cola? I'm talking about you about to die of thirst. 6,000 grams of sugar. <laughs> Can you imagine dying of thirst and somebody offering you help? Talking about this is the real thing. <laughs> Have a Coke and a smile. And you're completely dehydrated. These are the false substitutes that our culture offers. Fill in the blank for whatever you want. In fact, I started really thinking about this, and Coca-Cola knows the power of thirst. Oh, they are a lucrative business because they understand everybody's thirsty. They must have read John chapter 4 because they know everybody's thirsty because you understand Coca-Cola is a company, and they don't just make Coke. So they understand everybody's thirsty. So if you don't like this option, they'll give you Diet Coke. Coca-Cola makes Coke and Diet Coke. If you don't like Diet Coke, they'll give you Minute Maid lemonade. They'll give you Fanta Fanta. Don't you want a Fanta? They'll give you Sprite. Talking about obey your thirst. They will give you, oh, they will give you power. Coca-Cola is in the business of thirst. Offering all these substitutes, knowing that none of them will satisfy. Knowing that you can drink from this and it'll make you more thirsty. That's why you got the raise in the promotion and you're wondering why you still don't feel satisfied. That's why you finally got the person of your dreams and you're looking at them like, oh, you are a nightmare. 
that's why you finally got the car and you were so excited, but they just dropped a new model. And the person drives up next to you at the stop here like, you're like, I hate this thing. Why did I even get it? This is what it offers. Fake substitutes that leave you more thirsty when you drink from it. And God told me to tell somebody today, you can try to obey your thirst. You can do what's natural. Some people are trying to do it through sex. Some people are doing it through relationships. Some people are doing it through substance abuse. You can do it through revenge and you lemonade and you're just trying to get revenge to quench your thirst. You can do it through coke, through Fanta. You can do it through power and think if you finally get a position and I'm telling you that none of these things will ever quench the thirst of your soul. If you ever want the thirst of your soul to be quenched, if you ever want to not just be a water intake but to also have rivers of living water flowing through you so that God can make you be a witness to a culture that is completely dehydrated how many know you can't have Sprite you can't have Coca-Cola you can't have Minute Maid you can't have Fanta thank God that Coca-Cola makes something else thank God for some Dasani water thank God for the living water that will satisfy your soul see the whole time I've been preaching my lips been chapped. I've been up here dying. I'm so thirsty. I was almost tempted to open up one of these but I know it's not going to quench my thirst and this is the power of a Sabbath because I cannot be preaching to you and drink from this at the same time. This is the power of a pause. Sooner or later you're going to have to put down what you do and say God my soul is so thirsty. I'm going to sit down with my weary self and just drink of the living water so my soul will never thirst again I can't drink and preach at the same time I gotta put this down I can't can't preach and drink at the same time. Gotta put the preaching down and pause. So I can drink. I'm not just preaching this series, I'm living this series. I want to pastor Social Dallas for a long time. Taylor and I want to pastor social for a long time. And the way we're going to do it is to take a Sabbath, to pause, to cease, to not strive, to know that God already said, I will build my church. I will build my church. I, him, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Yes, God will use you, but he doesn't need you. He's going to accomplish his purpose in the earth with or without you. So why are you striving? I'm telling you, you got to learn how. Why do preachers fall? same way people fall because they're busy preaching doing and they never pause to drink 
if you're not consistently drinking what you are preaching it's only a matter of time before you fall it's only a matter of time before your soul is so dehydrated God told me to preach this message on Pentecost because he said in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and how many know pour out is not just pour on in fact we've had enough pour on that's the problem if you're dehydrated and I pour water on you it'll feel good but you're still gonna go home and you're still gonna pass out and that's the problem is many of us have reduced Pentecost to an emotional experience that's external but God said when I said pour out my spirit it's not just pour on you I want to pour in you I want you to be full of my spirit I want you to be full of my presence I want you walking everywhere you go full overflowing overflowing no wonder she went back into the town the same people she avoided she ran back to and said come see a man that told me everything I ever did because she had encountered the living water would you stand to your feet all over this place today still waters why still waters because if the waters are rushing in my attempt to get quenched I'll be carried away but I need a good shepherd to lead me to still water so I can drink in more we would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social.